Thank you, Lord, for making me the object of your love. I love that song. Open your Bibles, if you would, to Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22, if you're using the black Bibles in the chairs, it's page 13. So I, I have to do that periodically, get low number pages for Bob because Bob you, you get over you get over fifty or sixty and he loses count, you know. So. <laughs> I, I I love the fact that that not only can we have fun in church, but that, that I can I can tease and and you know I I don't know. I just have a hard time being serious sometimes, you know. Um, You you know, I I went to college in my 40s. Most of you guys know that. Um, But, you know, it it was kind of tough because it was 20 years between, well, maybe more than that, between the time I went to college. Yeah, it was. Anyway, uh, between the time I went to college and the time I was in high school. And when I was in high school, I was a bad student to begin with. And then, you know, you throw me into college and, and uh, man, you talk about a learning curve. Wow. <clears throat> but one of the things that I learned really, really quick was that there are some people that test better than others. Uh, and I am one of these people that I can have all the knowledge that is needed in my head and you put a test in front of me and my my brain just shuts off goes blank i i i'm a i am a horrible tester <clears throat> how many of y'all feel my pain okay the, okay yeah yeah okay you know <clears throat> well this one day i i walked into class we and this was for a quiz it wasn't even a test i stayed up till like one o'clock in the morning studying for a quiz I got up at 4 o'clock in the morning, studied for a quiz. I was in class by 7 o'clock, and I come dragging in. I mean, I was just exhausted. And, and, and on top of that, I was working a 40-hour day, you know, 40 hours a week and doing all the, the family stuff. And so I, I come in this day, this one day for a quiz, and I am absolutely exhausted and I sit down next to a young kid. I, I call him a young kid. He's probably 20. <clears throat> and uh, Matt Perro. And this guy it, it made, made me sick. Okay? Because he looks at me and he says, Mr. Lynn, you look horrible. <laughs> I said, I feel horrible. He said, what in the world's going on? And I said, well... I stayed up late studying, and I got up early studying for this quiz that we're getting ready to take. He's like, really? And I said, how long did you study for this test or this quiz? He says, about 20 minutes. (laughs) I just, I wanted to wring his neck, you know. But, you know, you got to understand, Matt Perrell was one of these really, really, really super smart people. You know, he could hear something and it just stuck. And anyway, just the the kind of kid you like to hate, yeah. you, you know. 
anyway, when I was at college, I also taught, I also had a, I taught a class uh, at the college called Basic Maintenance and Repair. And it was designed for, the, the purpose of the class was to, uh, to help a lot of the young people in the college because many of them would be going off to either small churches or, you know, many of them were going off into foreign countries. And the college felt it was important to help young people understand basic maintenance on how to how to you know how plumbing works how electricity works how you know, how to how to change the oil in your car do your brakes that kind of thing because a lot of these kids are going to get into uh, you know some foreign country and they're going to have to learn how to do this stuff themselves so the, the, this I felt it, and I enjoyed the teaching the class but it was an important thing so one of the things I used to teach and everybody used to laugh at me but it's important is how to fix a toilet. Because <laughs> a lot of people don't know how to do that. And we all have them. And, you know, when it, when it breaks, it never breaks when it's convenient. You know, you, know, you don't get a memo saying, I'm getting ready to break, you know. Anyway, so I learned really fast <clears throat> because... <clears throat> I, really, I, I learned really fast that there are, there are basically two types of students. And both are equally intelligent. But they're two different types of students. The first one is that they had knowledge but little skill. And the other one was they had skill but little knowledge. And, and you think, okay, what is that? Let me illustrate it this way. I had two types of students that I could hand them a repair kit for a toilet and they would open the box and they would take everything out very carefully and they would lay it out on the workbench. They would then take the instructions and read them thoroughly, probably multiple times, and then go and repair the toilet and three hours later they would be done. Okay? That is knowledge with little skill. And then there are people like me who open the box, pull everything, just dump it out on the table, look at the cartoons on the, on the instructions, throw everything away, and repair the, repair the toilet and walk away in 10 minutes. <laughs> Both are equally as smart as each other. But unfortunately, people in the second category are often categorized as not being as smart as the first category. And that's not true. See, the reality is we all learn differently. And I am a very uh, visual learner. That's, that's how I learn. I have, I have to, uh, you know... Uh, Memorizing people's names for me is very, 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 very difficult. But one of the things that I do is, and one of the reasons we have visitor cards and different things, is to help me with that. So hopefully I try and greet everybody who comes in the door, and I try and almost immediately try to repeat the name. Um, Yessie is here this morning. 
she was here last week. I forget. Brandon, yes. <clears throat> Thank you. <laughs> but yes, he's an unusual name, is it not? So th that's an easy name to remember, but I forgot Brandon's name. See what I mean? Uh, but by repeating it, writing it, you know, different things <clears throat> is how I learn. <clears throat> a visual learner learns by touch, feel, smell, that, that sort of thing. A, vis uh, a, a, a intellectual learner can read it and retain it and regurgitate it. <clears throat> that sounds horrible, doesn't it? <laughs> I had an uncle one time who was <clears throat> not very educated. He could hardly read, in fact. Uh, but he could diagnose a mechanical problem with a car by just listening to it. I mean, seriously, I, I, it was the most amazing thing. He could, you could, you know, you could pull up in his driveway and he could tell you, hey, your, your, you know, son, such and whatever is not working. You're like, what? What are you talking about? I didn't, my, my check engine light's not on. Oh, it will be. <laughs> He just, you know, just super intelligent, but he could hardly read. So what does it take us to learn? See, one of the things that I'm, I'm very thankful of when I went to college, it forced me to learn how, what, how I needed to learn. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. yeah it, it, you know, before, before that, <clears throat> you know, growing up, growing up in, in, in elementary school all, all the way through high school, uh, because of my dyslexia, I had teachers uh, tell me I was stupid. And it, you hear that all the way through your education, guess what? You start to believe it. Well, it wasn't until I was in college that I started to realize I'm not stupid, I just learn differently. Well, I, I'm here to tell you that whether you like it or not, you are enrolled in college. The name of the college is the College of Faith. How are you going to learn? Because, see, we all learn differently. <clears throat> Another thing that I learned in college was that every professor... Tested differently. One of the one of the keys, if you've never been to college and you're going to go to college, one of the first things you need to learn is how to read your professor. Because I had professors that wanted me to memorize lists of facts. I had some some professors wanted uh, 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 dates, uh, specific dates, times, places, events. Those kind of things. And I got to the point where the, with my professors that, <clears throat> that as they were teaching and I was taking notes, I kept a, a highlighter next to me and I would highlight certain things because I'm, you know, I learned, okay, I'm going to see that on a test. And you just start to highlight because what, what happened, you, start to, you start to be able to read your professors. So you learn how they test. <clears throat> So the key, to, for at least for me, to getting through college was to learn how to test. Does that make sense? 
the key to getting through the college of faith is learning how to test. Oftentimes, many of us fail the test. The title of the sermon this morning is Learning How to Test. Learning How to Test. Genesis as I, as I was thinking about this and our, our theme this year being anchored in his provision, his promises, his plan, and his peace, <clears throat> as I was thinking about that and meditating on it, I, I started thinking about oftentimes the testing of our faith. And <clears throat> I thought of no better story to go to than this story in Genesis chapter 22. Let's start reading in verse 1. And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here am I. And he said, Take now thy son, thy only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I will tell thee of. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for this day and I want to thank you for your love. I want to thank you for the work that you do in our lives, in my life. And Lord, as we we all are in this college of faith, help us, dear God, to understand the testings come from above. Help us, dear God, to draw close to you. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. The tests in the College of Faith come in two different types. They are both, we we see them both in Scripture. We see they come in temptations and trials. The first one, let's look at the temptations. James chapter 1, verses 13 to 15. Let no man say, when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil. Neither tempt ye any man, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. And, then, and when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. So temptations are different than trials. Trials uh, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now, uh, uh, for, though now for a season, uh, if need be, ye, have, uh, ye are heaviness, excuse me, ye are in heaviness uh, through manifold temptations, that the trying that, that the trials of your faith being much more precious than gold that perisheth, <clears throat> though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory in the appearing of Jesus Christ. Now, there are some certain things that we need to understand the differences between temptations and trials. Satan uses temptations to bring the worst out of us. Trials are used by God to bring out the best in us. Temptations seem, more often than not, uh, to be logical. 
Let me give you an example. In the, in the first part of Genesis, <clears throat> go ahead, eat the fruit. It looks good. Is that not a logical statement? Go ahead. Do what makes you feel happy. See, temptations often come in the realm of something that is logical. Where trial, or excuse me, test or trials can seem unreasonable at times. Let me give you an example. We just read an example. Why in the world would God ask Abraham to sacrifice his only son? Is that illogical? Absolutely. Why would God, or Jesus more specifically, why would Jesus go to his disciples and say, hey, lay down your nets and follow me? That's illogical. That makes no sense. Why would God go to you and I and say, hey, there is something that I want you to do, and you think, I can't do that. See, oftentimes, and, 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 and getting and understanding the, the, the difference between trials and, and temptations <clears throat> helps us distinguish what they are. If it seems logical, guess what? It's not from God. It's Satan trying to get you to go down a road that you don't need to go down. But if it's something illogical and you're thinking, this is crazy, I can't do this, then guess what? If you can explain it, it's not from God. Number one, in our learning how to test, number one, this is going to sound really obvious, expect testing. It's coming. If you haven't been through some trials recently, guess what? It's coming. Expect testing. We just read it in verses 1 and 2. <clears throat> one of the things that I learned in college is that, and, and, and actually I learned this more about being a, a teacher, is that what is the best way for a teacher to know if his students are learning? To test them. How many times have you been through a trial or, or a, a something in your life and you've thought this thought? Okay, God, what are you trying to teach me? Just, you know, I, I have told God this. You know, it would be a whole lot better for me if you would write me a memo and, learn, and tell me, learn faith. Okay, I can do that without having to go through this doesn't work that way. I wish it would, but it doesn't work that way. We must periodically endure testing. Not so much that God knows how much we've learned, but that we can learn what we've learned. Does that make sense? Because God knows. I want to take a minute. I want to look at Abraham's report card, if you would. Abraham has a report card because he went through many trials. 
And let, let's, see, let's see how he does. <clears throat> in Genesis chapter 11 and 12, he goes through what I call the famine test. The land that God brought him to, there was a great famine. And guess what? He failed the test. Because what did Abraham do? He went to Egypt. Things got a little tough. Abraham says, I'm getting out of Dodge. And he goes down to Egypt. He failed the test. In Genesis chapter 12 and 13, the fellowship test with him and Lot and all the conflict that was going on, he passes the test because he gives Lot the choice. He says, Lot, you choose. I'll take whatever's left over. And so he's one for one. Genesis 14, uh, there was a fight test. Lot got in trouble and Abraham formed an army and went after him and he defeated the kings. He passes the test. He passes the test in, in Genesis 14 also, which is considered the fortune test. Because after he defeated the kings, <clears throat> he was offered the wealth of Solomon. And, and Abraham says, I, I don't want it. And he turns around and walks away. He passed the test. But in Genesis chapter 16, he failed the fatherhood test. Those of you that are familiar with the story, his wife, Sarah, comes to him and says, hey, you know what? I'm getting old. I can't have babies anymore. You need to to have a baby through my my servant. And he goes into Hagar and and, and Ishmael is born. He failed the test. He failed the test of waiting and patience. Boy, how many times have I failed that test? But he passed the farewell test when he had to send Ishmael away. See, oftentimes we look at these saints in, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, and we, we put them on pedestals and we think, man, these people were perfect. No, Abraham was anything but. Abraham was a sinner just like you and me. But Abraham had faith. Did he pass every test that came his way? Absolutely not. By the time we get to Genesis chapter 22, Abraham had been through many tests. And if you notice the progression of the test, guess what? They get a little more difficult, do they not? And there were times in my life that I I look and I, I see the test that God is putting me through and I'm thinking, God, I can't do this. And then he reminds me, hey, look what you've been through. Look who, look who you were six months ago. Look who you were five years ago. Look who you were 20 years ago. And see, the tests get a little harder. Get a little harder. One of the mistakes, and this was a huge mistake. My freshman year of college, I took a senior level class. I wanted to commit suicide. I mean, it was incredible. I had to memorize and read and do all these things. And I'm like, this is, this is crazy. But what was the problem? I was a freshman. I, I didn't know anything. I, had, I was taking a, a senior level class. The testing for a senior is much more difficult than for a freshman. The expectations are different. See, oftentimes... 
one of the mistakes that we make <clears throat> is we say, okay, God, I want to know where you want me in 10 years, and I want to go there now. What is the problem with that? You're, you're, you're taking a senior level class as a freshman. You're not ready for it yet. There are tests that you need to take along the way to get you ready where God wants you to be. Praise God he doesn't tell us ahead of time. Amen. <laughs> Every believer will face similar temptations. We all face similar temptations. But not everyone will experience the same trials. Why? Because we're all different learners. Not only are we different learners, but we're, we're different people. And where God wants me to go, and the trials he puts in my life are different than, than each of yours. And yours are different from mine. But the temptations are very similar. In 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 10, verse 13, it says, uh, <clears throat> There hath no temptation taken you, but such as common to man. There, the temptations are all common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that which you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. I have sat with people in hospitals saying, Pastor, I cannot bear to live without my spouse. God will provide a way. It's called grace. Amen. I've had people tell me, Pastor, I cannot bear the burden any longer. It is too heavy for me. You can't. God will provide a way. The temptations to man are very similar, but the trials are tailor-made. Each trial that you go through is specifically designed by an almighty God for you. Does that make it any easier? No. <laughs> At least it doesn't for me. But the reality is God knows what you need. And he knows what I need. And he, and he custom fits our trials to who we are and where he wants us to go. The testings in our lives are evidence of his love for us. I can't tell you how many times I've had people say, Pastor, why is God punishing me? He's not punishing. He's exhibiting his love for you. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 6 and 7. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as sons. And uh, uh, for what son is he whom the Father uh, chasteneth not? And the word chasteneth here, uh, it does mean to discipline, but it also means to instruct, train, and educate. It's all part of it. And there are times that God will bring some hard things into our lives. Why? Because he's, he's not only trying, some, sometimes it's for discipline, but sometimes he's trying to educate us. He's trying to train us. He's trying to get us places where he needs us to be. 
Now, was this was this trial in Abraham's life, was it a fun trial to go through? Absolutely not. It would have been horrible to be to be put in this position. I read a quote from a psychiatrist named uh, Scott Peck. <clears throat> this is what he wrote. Life is difficult. And I went, duh. But then he goes on. He says, life is difficult. Once we truly know that life is difficult, once we truly understand and accept it, then life is no longer difficult. And I thought, what? I know life is difficult. I have accepted the reality that life is difficult. And I started thinking about it, trying to meditate on it. I'm like, what is he trying? Then it dawned on me. You know what? You know what happens when we accept the fact that life is difficult for us? Then we start to realize all of a sudden that other people have it harder than we do. There are people sitting in this auditorium this morning. I would not trade places with you for anything. Why? Not, not because I, I, I wouldn't want your life, but I don't want your life. Does that make sense? There are people sitting in this room this morning that are dealing with things far worse than anything I deal with. And the reality is, if you give me 10 minutes, I can find somebody that's having a harder time than you. I promise you I can. Because life is hard. And when we truly accept that and understand it, then we start to realize, but see, if we don't accept it as reality for ourselves, what happens? We get locked in our own little bubble, then we get to then the awesome thing is we get to feel sorry for ourselves. Cuz I've got it worse than everybody else. But when we realize everybody else is struggling and life is hard for everybody, now all of a sudden we can have empathy for others instead of pity for ourselves. Number two, learning how to test. Expecting, expect testing. And then number two, Focus on the promises, not the explanations. And, and I'll, I'm telling you, this is, this is the whole point of the message here, point number two. Let's look at verse three. And Abraham rose up early in the morning and saddled his ass and <clears throat> took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son, and claved the wood of the burnt offering and rose up and went into the place where God had told him. And on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, Abide here, abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. What is a promise from God? Here, here, one of the things that we are to anchor our lives in is his promises. What is a promise of God? A promise of God <clears throat> is a statement 
that we can absolutely have confidence in. I want to I want to share with you some promises that and 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 this again th- th- this is just a scratching the surface of the promises of God. <clears throat> there are literally hundreds in Scripture, but here's a few to kind of give you an idea of what I'm trying to communicate here. <clears throat> in Hebrews chapter 13 verse 5, we see His presence. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. We have the promise. Of the of God's presence, we have the God the promise of God's protection in Genesis chapter fifteen verse one. He says, "I am thy shield." That is the promise of protection. We have the promise of God's power. I will strengthen thee. Isaiah chapter forty one verse ten. I will strengthen thee. What is that promise? The promise is when you don't have the strength, I will give you the strength. When we get to the end of the trial and we're thinking, I cannot go any further, Isaiah kicks in and God gives us the strength. God's provision. I will help thee also. Isaiah chapter 41 verse 10. Not only will he strengthen us, but he will help us. God's leading. We see in John chapter 10 verse 4. And when he uh, putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth uh, before them. His leading. Last night, the title of the movie we watched was Alone, Yet Not Alone. And the, the whole purpose, the whole premise of the movie is, is the, 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 the young people that were uh, the key figures in the movie, humanly speaking, they were alone. But they were never alone. And we are never alone as a child of God. God's rest is another promise. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. God's goodness we see. No good thing will he withhold from him that worketh uprightly. Psalm chapter 40, uh, excuse me, 84, 11. God's faithfulness. Boy, get a hold of this one. God's faithfulness. The Lord will not forsake his people for he is, uh, for his Great namesake, 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 22. And then God's guidance, the meek will he guide in Psalm chapter 25, verse 9. Those are promises that we can hold on to. These are promises that when the trials of life come and we feel like we are all alone, that we can hold on to and say, God is my strength. God will lead me. God is my protector. Because the reality is, one of the things that God wants to teach each and every one of us is dependence on Him. That's the final exam. Just saying. And you think, well, I'm ready to take the test. If you're ready to take the test, then you don't understand what it means to be totally dependent on God. Because the reality is you never will be totally dependent on God. Because we have this thing called the flesh and a sin nature. 
And as long as we are battling between the flesh and the spirit, we are going to be in the college of faith. It's just part of it. Warren Wiersbe wrote this. I I read this. It was like, wow, what an incredible uh, quote. Our faith is not really tested until God asks us to bear that which seems unbearable, do what seems unreasonable, and expect what seems impossible. See, if, if, if it is explainable, if it's possible, if it's understandable, then it's not faith. If, if, if I could explain everything in my life, then I am not living by faith. Consider how unreasonable God's request was to Abraham. By the time Genesis chapter 22 comes along, Abraham is an old man. He's at least 115 years old. Most of the theologians I I read believe he's between 115 and 125 years old. And God's telling him to sacrifice his only son, a son that he loves dearly. But what about the future of Israel? See, the future of Israel was dependent on Isaac, was it not? God promised Abraham that that, uh, Isaac would be the father of a great, well, that he would be a father of a great nation, but he would use Isaac to do it. Can you imagine the turmoil going on in Abraham's mind as he's climbing the hill thinking, how is all this going to play out? I don't understand. It doesn't make sense. Isaac was a miracle child. When Isaac was born, Abraham was 100 years old. His mom, Sarah, was 90. I, I don't know about you, but You know, this is taking place. We're going to talk more about this next week. But when this takes place, Isaac is a young man. Somewhere, he's either a late teen, early 20s. He's not a little boy. He's a full-grown man. How is it going to work out? doesn't make sense. See, the test was not just about Abraham's faith, but his love and his hope. See, he loved his son, but he also hoped that his son would be the, 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 the father of the nation of Israel. I want you to kind of ponder this. When God sends trials our way, how do, we, how do we respond? As I, as, I, as I pondered that question, how do I respond to, to trials often? I respond usually this way. Yeah. <gasps> <clears throat> the first thing I think usually is, why? Y'all with me on that one? Okay. The second part of the question after I get through the why is, why me? 
Why not Trion? <laughs> you know, why not Rick? Why not somebody else? I, I've already done it three times this year. You know, why not someone else? Why me? Immediately, what do we want? We want an explanation from God. Do we not? Okay, God, why me? Okay, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to flip this thing open, and wherever it lands, I'm going to read the answer to the question. Why me? Explain it to me. If you can explain it to me, God, I'll endure it. Is that not how we respond? <clears throat> but what does God want from us? Does he, wanna, does he want to explain his every move to us? No, he's not going to. What does he want from us? Faith to trust it's the right thing. That's what he wants from us. And one of the things, the reasons why <clears throat> Abraham landed in the hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 13 was because he trusted God. He didn't go to God and say, okay, I'll sacrifice my son Isaac if you will explain why. He doesn't do that. God says, I want you to do this, and Abraham gets up the next morning and does it. It's called obedience. That is faith. But if God has to explain it to us, it's not faith. See, Abraham focused on the promises, not the explanations. In Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, it says, Now the Lord said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, and unto a land that I will show thee, and I will make thee a great nation. And I will bless thee, and, and make thy name great. And thou shalt be a blessing. I cannot imagine what Abraham was thinking as he's walking up the mountain with his only son Isaac, who is probably around 20, thinking, God promised me that he would make me the father of a great nation. How is this going to happen? And I'm here to tell you there have been times in my life I have gone through things and I've thought, God, I don't understand how it's all going to work out. I don't. But you know what? It's not my job to make it work. It's my job to be obedient. Very quickly, I want to give you a few reasons why God brings trials into our lives. Number one, to purify our faith. To purify our faith. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 7 and 9. That the trial of your faith being much more precious than gold that purifieth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen ye love, in whom, though now <clears throat> ye see him not, Yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, 
even the salvation of your soul. Another reason why is to improve our character. Every one of us needs character adjustments. My kids needed them often. I never did growing up. I was, I was, yeah. But no, seriously, one of the reasons why God brings trials in our lives is to improve our character. James chapter 1, verses 2 to 4. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, but let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. And then another reason that God can bring trials into our lives is protect us from sin. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 8 to 10. For this thing I besought the, the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. More gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of God may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in the infirmities and reproaches and in, in necessities and persecutions and in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. See, these are just three of many reasons why God could be bringing trials into our lives. The fact is, we ask for explanations. And when we do that, it is a demonstration of a lack of faith. Abraham responded. Now, did Abraham always do the right thing? No, he didn't. No, he didn't. <clears throat> but he learned to rest in the promises of God. Genesis chapter 21, verse 12 and God said unto Abraham, Let it not be grievous in thy sight because of the lad, and because of thy bondwoman, in all that Sarah has said unto thee. Hearken unto her voice, uh, for Isaac, for in Isaac shall thy seed be called. See, there's the promise that God, that Abraham's holding on to. Now, I want you to think about this. Abraham says something in verse 5 that is critical to the core of his faith. Okay, God tells him in verses 1 through 4 that he is to go to this Mount Moriah and sacrifice his son. But what does he say in verse 5? Look at verse 5. And Abraham said unto the young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder <clears throat> and worship and come again unto you. What's he saying? They're both going and they're both coming back. Now, does Abraham know how it all's going to work out? No, he doesn't, he doesn't have a clue. He knows that God has told him to do something very specific, but in his heart, he knew his faith told him that the promise in Genesis 21:12 was going to come true. Now, how it was all going to happen, he didn't know. But he knew that God promised him that Isaac would be the seed. The promise of God. And way too often, 
when the trials of life come into our lives, Satan gets us to doubt the promises of God. And no longer is God my protector. He's my persecutor. That's wrong. God loves you. And he wants you to serve him. And he will bring things into our... Now, is every major event in your life a trial from God? No. Sometimes life just happens. But I'm here to tell you, God can take those times as well and use them to teach us through them. Abraham, knowing, knowing that God wanted him to sacrifice his son, tells his servants, we'll both be back. That's faith. That is standing. That is being anchored in his promises. <clears throat> well, we're out of time, and I have about a whole nother sermon to go. <laughs> no, seriously. I, I knew I knew when I was doing this, I tried to do it all in one sermon, and there was no way in the world I was going to be able to get all this in one sermon. So we're going to pick this up again next week. I don't normally do that on Sunday mornings just because it's not cool. People hate it when I do that. But there's just too much here. But I want you to focus on this thing. Because see, <clears throat> those of you that are familiar with the story, what, what happens? God provides, does he not? Okay, right now I want to focus on the promises of God. Because that's where Abraham is in his life. He's, he's walking up this mountain, mountain, holding, desperately holding on to the promises of God. And there are times in our life where that's all we have. We have nothing else but the promises of God. So this week, let's focus on that. And next week, we'll talk about the provision that God provides but for right now, let's. I, I want to read this quote again from Warren Wiersbe, and then we'll pray and we'll be done. Warren Wiersbe uh, wrote, "For faith, uh, excuse me, our faith is not really tested until God asks us to bear what seems unbearable." Was as as Abraham was walking up that mountain? Was that an unbearable walk? Absolutely, it was. Do what seems unreasonable. Was God asking Abraham to do something that seems unreasonable? Absolutely. And expect what seems impossible. He, the impossible was to return with his son. Let's focus on that this morning. Let's focus on that this week. And trust in the provision that God will provide. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for your love.